0: Uh, It's great to have you here with us this morning. Uh, If you're visiting, if it's your very first time, my name's Dave, I'm the lead pastor. Welcome to Connect. I know we have some folks who are watching us online this morning, so good morning to you as well. Thank you for uh, joining us. Now, many of you probably know this, but uh, it is uh, very important to eat fruit In your life fruit is very healthy it's good for you Uh, so i hope you're all eating your fruit knowing this i make sure that i try and consume as much fruit as possible so uh strawberry milkshakes do a lot of strawberry milkshakes Um, Banana bread, that's another one that really helps. You know, as much banana bread as I can consume. And chocolate-covered strawberries. You know, that's another great fruit. My doctor is so proud of me and the amount of fruit. I'm just uh, such a healthy person. But um, you're gonna be surprised to hear this morning that Paul, um, who was a man who wrote a large part of the New Testament, he was a follower of Jesus, and uh, Jesus transformed his life. He wrote a lot of letters to churches. Throughout the New Testament. In one of those letters, he talks about fruit not to eat fruit because it's good for you, but he uses an analogy uh, and uses fruit as kind of a picture or an image of something else that we should have in our lives that is good for us. And we're going to talk about that, not just today, but for the next few weeks, because he introduces this concept of the fruit of the Spirit, and there are many different types of this fruit that he talks about uh, in this short passage, and we're going to unpack that every week here, but um, before we really get into it, I want to give you a little bit of a background as to why Paul even brings this up in the first place. Because you see, we're going to read about it in a a letter in the New Testament called Galatians. And Paul uh, has written, the the letter is a letter that Paul's written to the church in a city called Galatia. And he's addressing some specific issues that this church is going through. But the incredible thing, and this is what I love about the Bible, is that 2,000 years later, these words are just as relevant and applicable to us today as they were to the original audience in that church in Galatia. So let me kind of explain what's going on in this church, why Paul was writing this letter, and then we're going to reach the fruits of the Spirit and we're going to get to learn what that meant to them and what it means to us today. So, Prior to this point of Paul's letter, uh, for hundreds of years throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the Jews, they had followed God. And one of the ways that they followed God was through the the law, it's called the Torah, that was given to them by Moses. Moses met with God and he brought the 10 commandments and these rules and and for years and years and years and years, the, the people of Israel, they followed these commands. They'd been like a guide of how they should live their lives the wonderful thing about the law was it served to show the brokenness of mankind how they had fallen short of the standard of perfection that God had and the reality was that the law it had served a wonderful purpose up to that point but it did not bring the freedom that could only be found through a relationship with Jesus And Paul explains this in Galatians 3, verse 21. He says, is there a conflict then between God's laws and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law, these rules that Moses had introduced, if the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the Scriptures declared that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. He's writing to this church saying, hey, I think you've forgotten. The law, it was great, but it had limits. It was was helpful for the people of Israel, but then God sent Jesus. And the plan was for Jesus to come and, and to supersede the law, to do something that the law could never do. You see, up till this point, the law for the people of Israel had been a little bit like the North Star. It was like a a moral compass. Do you remember like back in the day before uh, navigation and compasses and GPS systems, you know, sailors, they would work their way around the globe and and they would navigate by the stars. A captain would be on the the bow of the ship just looking and there, one of the brightest stars in the sky was the North Star. And if their destination was North, they knew that if they headed towards that North Star, they would get to their destination. But no sailor in his right mind ever expected to reach the North Star. The North Star was there as a guide, but it was out of reach. And this is what the law was like for the people of Israel. It was a guide. It was a, a standard that the people of Israel used to live their lives. It was, it was God's rule saying, listen, these rules aren't a bad thing. They're not restrictive. They're actually going to bring you freedom." freedom from brokenness and heartache and and the problems of this world, if you'll follow these laws, they will actually set you free from some of the negative things that can happen in your life. But like the North Star, this law, these standards, you can guide your life, you can use them as something you point yourself towards, but you'll never, ever get there because you'd have to be perfect. You'd have to obey every single law. And all of us know that there's no way that could be possible. Which is why the law was always just a temporary solution to the problem of sin until God's permanent solution came along. And that was Jesus. God sent Jesus to die in our place, the permanent solution. So that through a relationship with Jesus, we can never be perfect, but we can can embrace the life of a man who lived a perfect life, who died in our place. We can now be reconnected with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Paul talks about that. He continues in verses 24 and 25 of Galatians 3. Let me put it another way. The law, the Old Testament, the Torah, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us. Until we can be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So, Paul is saying this because he's writing to the church in Galatia because they've kind of forgotten this. They're starting to creep back into some of their old habits. They're starting to drift back to to living by the law instead of out of a relationship with Jesus. One of the examples of how they were doing this, there were brand new people in the city of Galatia who were becoming Christians, who were making the decision to follow Jesus. Many of them were Gentiles. That means they didn't grow up in the Jewish tradition. And these, these Jewish Christians in Galatia were saying, well, now that you're a Christian, you need to get circumcised because that's what the law told us to do. And you need to realize, this is a, uh, a culture prior to anesthetics. <laughs> so these are some grown men who are really being asked how committed they are to following Jesus. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're getting caught up in some of the rules and the regulations of the law. Jesus came to set us free from that. And not just that, Paul's writing to Galatians saying, not just that, he also, when Jesus left, God sent the most incredible gift that any of us could ever imagine. Jesus had to go so that God could be present through what we now know as the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he's gonna be like a game changer in your life. You don't have to to strive to do this in your own strength because God wants to send a helper. For those who don't know, a couple of weeks ago I was on a a trip that took me over to Africa with an organization called World Vision. And and part of that trip uh, involved me climbing, hiking to the very top of a mountain called Mount Kilimanjaro, 19,400 feet. I prepared as much as I could for the trip physically, I trained, but I knew that there was no preparation for the altitudes that I would have to battle against. Someone told me that at 19,000 feet, the air is so thin, there's so little oxygen in the air that it would be like taking one of our coffee stirrers from the uh, the bench out there and putting it in your mouth and breathing through that. That's how it feels to be breathing at that altitude. There's, there's just so little oxygen. So... We knew it was a real risk. There was one uh, member of our team who just, through exhaustion, couldn't make it to the top. Another lady actually started to get some altitude sickness, something called HAPE, which is high altitude pulmonary and uh, sickness. And uh, she was getting some fluid on her lungs as she was coughing. So, so it was the real deal. So I really tried to make sure I had as much help as possible to get me to the top of this mountain. I, I learned that the more hydrated you are, the better chance you have at high altitude. So I just drank and drank and drank. I drank water for days before, and I drank water the whole time I was there. I drank a lot. As a result, I had to use the bathroom a lot, but man, I just tried to stay as hydrated as possible. When we were actually on the hike, um, we'd fill up our water jugs each day, and I took something with me called Liquid IV. It's just full of electrolytes, and I poured that into one of my uh, flasks, so I was just really trying to get as many electrolytes back into my system as possible. I took some medicine called Diamox that helps you adapt to high altitude uh, quicker than normal. I took snacks, energy bars. I took a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter with me, because it's good energy. Now, you need to know, I took a loaf of bread and crunchy peanut butter, because that is the only way to eat peanut butter, okay? Just to clarify that out here this morning, okay? So, it literally is on the label, peanut butter. If you can't crunch the peanuts as you're eating, you're not eating peanut butter, you're just eating butter. What's the point of that? So, um, I was eating a crunchy peanut butter. I was doing everything I could to give me a little bit of help, a little bit of an edge as I made that climb. And Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Galatians, he's saying, God's given you something special. He's given you a little bit extra here to give you some extra strength in your walk as followers of Jesus. And it's the idea behind the subject that we're going to be speaking on for the next several weeks here at Connect. Because he explains the problem. Paul says, here's the challenge that we face. Galatians 5:19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear: sexual immorality, impurity. Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I love it when Paul does lists like this, because I feel like sometimes we start reading it thinking, oh yeah, those people, those people. And then suddenly there's one where you're like, oh yeah, that's me. So uh, I mean, he, he, he covers everything. I mean, you know, there's not anyone who's gonna read that short passage and think, yeah, no, I'm good, I, I don't need those." So Paul's saying, listen, every one of us, I don't care where you find yourself, how far, you know what, every one of us struggles against the desires of our sinful nature. And let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he presents the problem. He says, without the solution I'm about to introduce to you, here's the dilemma that we all face. Left to our own devices, the sinful nature that we all have, it drags us away from God and towards these habits, these behaviors that sometimes can bring some temporary pleasure. Otherwise, we wouldn't want to do them, would we? Sometimes there is some temporary, but ultimately will lead us to a place of brokenness, hopelessness, emptiness, and ultimately death. But when we make that choice to follow Jesus, we discover that God wants to give us the Holy Spirit. God, the person of God, living in every single one of us as the Holy Spirit. He comes into our life. If you're here this morning and you've made a decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a part of your life. And you know this because he's there. He's the moral compass in your life. It's the presence of God in your life that you know is guiding you and prompting you to to the ways of God. And it's funny because we know he's there because sometimes we feel the tension of his presence versus the, the natural desires of our own sinful nature, our own flesh. Paul talks about that in Galatians 5. He says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. And I bet there are some of us here this morning, as followers of Jesus, who can relate to that, to that battle that seems to be in our lives. Maybe some of you feel a little bit like this sometimes, these cartoon characters that we're all so familiar with, that whether you're Donald Duck or Homer Simpson, that there are these two voices. There's the good guy and the bad guy. There's the little angel and the little demon. And in every situation we're faced with, there's something that says, we should do this. But there's this other voice that says, yeah, but what if we did this? And it's like this battle that goes on all the time. That's what Paul's talking about. In the early church, there was a, uh, one of the church fathers, they called him. There's a man by the name of Origen. And, and we, can, we found his, his writings from 2,000 years ago. He lived from 185 to 253. And uh, this is something he wrote. He said, to everyone, there are two attending angels, the one of justice and the other of wickedness. If there be good thoughts in our heart, and if righteousness be welling up in our soul, it can scarcely be doubted that an angel of the Lord is speaking to us. If, however, the thoughts of our hearts uh, be turned to evil, an angel of the devil is speaking to us. So as followers of Jesus, these two warring voices... And our desire is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing, and this is where we're going to get to to kind of kick off our series, Paul says, there's actually a way that you can measure how well you're doing. There's actually a a measurement that we can use to decide how well we are listening to and responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it is this. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So in this series... Over the summer, over the coming weeks, we're going to look in more detail at each one of these behaviors, each one of these aspects of what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to determine, we're going to define what they look like, what their purpose is. Ultimately, we're going to use it as a measuring tool to determine how much of the presence of God is in our lives. Some weeks, we're going to talk about love or joy, and we're going to leave thinking, yeah, nail that. I feel like I've got some love and some joy in my life. And then other weeks we'll talk about patience. Oh boy, yeah, that fruit needs a lot more ripening in my life. So we're gonna talk about each fruit each week. But this morning, I get to kick off with the greatest fruit of all. And that is, of course, the strawberry. No, I'm not talking about the strawberry. That is, in my opinion, the greatest fruit of all. But no, Paul starts out with love. He says, love, joy, peace, and we're going to kick off with love. But just on a side note, can I go back to strawberry just for a second here? Because I, I'm worried that some of you are like, no, no, strawberry is the best fruit. I, uh, I was thinking about this message this week, and fruit was on my mind. And I remembered as a kid growing up, uh, the house we lived in, you could go out my front door and turn right and walk up towards the end of the street. There was four or five houses. And then you got to the end of my street, and across the street was what was called a small holding. I think that's an English phrase. A small holding is like a small farm that sometimes you'll see in more urban settings. And this particular small holding, this small farm, they grew strawberries. That's all they grew. And every summer, right around this time, May, June time, the, the strawberries were ready. And we would go out there, my sister, my dad and I, and you arrive and you go in and they give you a little pallet, a little basket, and off you go and you pick the strawberries and then when you go to leave afterwards, they weigh your basket and however much it weighs, that's how much they charge you. It's brilliant. I always felt like it was a little bit of an unfair system because knowing how I was, I think they should have weighed me prior to going in and then after (laughs) coming out because... I had this system. I would walk up and down the things and it was like one for the basket, one for my belly, one for the basket. It was just the best way to spend a summer's day just eating these fresh strawberries. But here's the thing. You may have grown up in a church where there was a picture on your Sunday school wall that looked something like this and it it listed the fruits of the Spirit and each one of them correlated with a fruit. Paul isn't saying that each fruit was its own thing. You know, like there's a reason that banana's faithfulness. So don't think too hard into which fruit refers to which behavior. I do like that in this one, strawberry is love, number one, best fruit in the world. But um, I think the reason Paul refers to these, these different behaviors as the fruit of the Spirit isn't because of, you know, one strawberry, one's a mango. No, it's like the fruit of our labors. It's a measure of how well we're doing. So when we look at the Holy Spirit in our lives, I want to see how is the fruit of my life? What does the Holy Spirit look like? How, How am I doing at loving others, at being joyful, at being patient? So we'll talk about that over the coming weeks, but this morning we'll talk a little bit about love and what love really looks like. Paul talks a lot about love. In fact, in his letters, he uses the word love 75 times as a noun, 34 times as a verb. Even in this chapter, before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, he's still talking about love. In verse thirteen, he says, You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting uh, part of that Torah, the law from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So he's talking to the Galatians saying, listen, you guys are gonna do better at loving one another. And I think this is timeless. It speaks to us today as well. So the truth is, I feel like I could do the whole series just on love. I think there's so much we could talk about throughout Scripture of God's love for us, how we can share His love with others. So this morning, we're going to just scratch the surface. We're going to take a very high-up view of of love, but hopefully in a way that will send us away this morning with just some ideas of how we can measure the Holy Spirit in our lives in the area of love. So one of the first things I thought of is that love is a verb. Okay, love can be a noun, but I want, to, I want you all to think this morning about love as a verb, as a doing word, as an action word. I get to meet with a lot of young couples whose weddings I get to play a role in. And uh, oftentimes when we're together, talking about their married lives together, I talk about this idea that it's great that you love one another. It's great that you said to her, I love you. And she said to you, I love you. And you've asked each other to marry each other and there's love there. And I said, but love is more than just an emotion. If you want your marriage to to thrive and grow and stay strong, you have to understand that love is a verb. It's a doing word. I often share with them this idea of um, our relationship being like a bank account. And we have withdrawals and we have deposits. And there'll be times in your relationship where you'll forget to do something or you'll leave a mess or something will happen. And in your relationship, it's like a withdrawal from the love bank account. And that's okay. That happens but if there's nothing in the account, your relationship's in trouble. So the idea is you've got to be looking to make deposits all the time. To not just say, I love you, but to show how much you love your spouse by, by doing things. Love is a doing word. You, you make those deposits. It, it builds up the bank account so it can survive a few withdrawals here and there. Here at Connect, we talk a lot about this being part of our vision, our culture. Here at Connect to be a church where, where people understand that God loves them. That if, if you're a part of Connect, you are welcome, you are loved. We are so happy that you are here. In fact, it's in the name of the church, Connect. So we want to create this kind of idea that uh, when you picture Connect Church, it's like a group of people stood in a circle holding hands, because we want you to feel like you are a part of a wonderful part of God's family, that we are connected to one another. But I've said this a lot. I want you to picture that circle, everybody holding hands, but actually facing outwards. It's not a group of people in a circle facing hands, holding, uh, sorry, facing hands, holding hands, facing inwards. It's a group of people holding hands facing outwards because in the world of church, that's a very different thing. Sometimes churches can get a little bit inward focused, just looking at our needs, and, but we wanna be a church that's always looking outside of the walls of our building. How can we show God's love to our community? How can we show God's love to our neighbors? How can we show God's love to the world in which, we've lived, in which we live? So we love it when opportunities present themselves. About a month, a little over a month ago, uh, we had just one of those opportunities. There's an organization called Camp Hope, fantastic organization. They're tied in with St. Jude and they uh, put on a camp every summer for kids who are in some way affected by cancer. So maybe they themselves have cancer Maybe they've had cancer. Uh, They are a sibling of a of a a a kid who has cancer. So because of their situation, they can't go to a regular summer camp. So this camp, Hope, they puts on this special camp just for kids affected by this. It's fantastic. Several of our families and connects are involved in this camp. It's brilliant. So we heard that, um, because none of these kids paid to go to this camp, it's completely free. So we heard they had a need. There's a lot of food they have to prepare for this camp. They said, Connect, would you be willing to um, raise some funds to help cover the cost of all the fruit for the week? I said, absolutely, how much is that? They said about $3,000. So we came to you a few weeks ago and said, we would love to be able to raise enough money to cover the cost of the fruit for the camp. Well, I'm thrilled to tell you that this morning we have a guest here, it's Shelley Lee, am I getting that? Yeah, Shelley Lee, from Camp Hope, and I asked if she would come and give us a little update on how the camp went, how our funds went, how much we were able to raise, and I hadn't planned it this way, but we planned this ages ago. It turns out that the very first day we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to get to find out how well we did at helping with the fruits of Camp Hope. So let's welcome Shelley Lee.
1: Well, thank you so much. I am so happy to be here in person to thank you. I don't get this opportunity often to be able to thank people. Usually it's a letter. But thank you so much for letting me be here to tell you that you made a gigantic impact. I love the mission of Connect Church and what you're doing in community and how you've supported us. You far exceeded my expectations, our our expectations for um, the fruit for the week. So I've got a little bit more to share with you about that, but I wanted to tell you a little bit. Of more about Camp Hope, just in case if you don't know about us. So our mission is written there. I'm not going to read it all to you, but really just as Dave said that we, um, support kids with cancer, blood disorders, um, and ages six to 16, uh, they're able to come out to the campground and be there all week long. Um, also, as he mentioned, we do also support siblings and we feel very strongly about that. We want to help our siblings. We know that their world's turned upside down when they see their whole family, um, Rallying around that patient. So, um, we want to support them as well. So, that is really a little bit more about what Camp Hope does. Um, So, Anyway, um, this our camp is held out at Timber Point Outdoor Center. It is an ADA um, fully accredited accessible campground so that the kids are able to do things. So long-term side effects won't affect them out there. They're able to still do some things like zip lining and rock wall climbing. Even if they're in a wheelchair, we're able to get them up there. So that's why it's important to have a, a fully accessible campground. Um, this is Camp Hope. This was this year, 2023. Those are our campers. Um, it was a great group. We had a lot of kids and a lot of counselors there. So um, that's our group for Camp Hope. Um, so I, 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 chose some pictures cause I thought you'd want to see some of the kids in action, but these are some of our patients and our siblings, and they connect all together because they build friendships for a lifetime. It's an opportunity for them to get away from the hospital, to do something different and meet friends that have already been through similar circumstances. Um, also to try something new. So just wanted to go through this really quickly, not going to read it all to you, but we had a hundred campers. There were 63 patients. 28 of those were on active therapy and out at campground at the campground. Um, 44 were oncology, we had some hematology patients. We had 37 siblings, which is great. And two day campers, the note about the day campers is, um, we started day camp because we thought, you know, a couple kids might not be able to make it through the week. By day one, they changed their minds and they decided to stay the whole week. So that was great. We also had zero homesick campers, first time ever. So that was exciting. So we get excited about that, yeah. Um, Okay, so in this picture, this just gives you an idea what it looks like in the lodge for our meal times. Um, You might recognize a person in the front there. Devin Lambert, she I believe attends here. Ah, there she is. Yay. So she is one of our counselors. Yay, Devin. Um, she's one of our counselors at camp, and she does a phenomenal job with the kids. Um, but she's out there um, helping, and it was a long week, wasn't it, Devin? <laughs> Absolutely. And then this is another familiar face, probably you're going to see a lot of familiar faces going through here. This is Brian Tibbs, Washington Park director. He actually volunteers his time to be out there and coordinate our whole kitchen for us and all the fruit, uh, everything that we do. Um, in the kitchen. So he's even making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I don't believe it's crunchy though. <laughs> anyway, um, the ask was for fruit. Again, you already heard that and strawberries are the most popular uh, fruit incidentally. But <laughs> so we went through six, uh, I think 14 flats of strawberries out there and cutting those all up. So you can see a few of that in the next picture. But what we asked for was $3,000. We thought that might cover the fruit for the week and you did 5500 dollars for us so, incredible far exceeded our expectations far exceeded our expectations so thank you so much for doing that I never expected you to go that far above and beyond so thank you also another familiar face Kim over here is she was the one that did the ask for me and was um, um, great she helps out in so many different ways volunteer coordinator Mike you've seen him uh, around town a little bit <laughs> and then Dave and Kathy um, actually Kathy embroidered my dress for me, and she helps me in so many different ways for camp, but, um, but also Dave is a board member for us, and he also supports me um, greatly in just getting all of this off the ground and going, so I'm so thankful for that. Fun picture of just what we do, what we do at camp. We provide fun in every way, even with fruit. So um, a lot of connection pictures. Um, this is one of our campers read over here, just showing that we, we um, help kids get involved in being as active in, as they can be out at campground, at the campground. A couple more pictures of just activities that we do. We do all kinds of things that, that provide connection for the kids so that they feel that they have that support for a lifetime. One fun fact is um, I've been doing camp for many, many years, but we had, we've had, we actually had campers that, um, the connection is so great that they met at camp and they ended up growing up, getting married, and they have three, two children, excuse me. So pretty fun, pretty fun. Um, So yeah, these are just a few other pictures. We have some great fun events that are out there at camp, and we support our kids in the best way possible. So just, um, you don't have to, I'm not going to go through this, but the future of camp, we not only do Camp Hope, but we also provide other supportive programs for our kids and patients. So Young Adult Retreat is coming up this September, and then um, hopefully some bereavement retreats and um, also connecting and helping our families in the community, the adults, the, the children of adult cancer patients. So that's what's happening with Camp Hope. You can always look on our website camphopefoundation.org if you'd like to learn more or just um, contact me. But thank you so much. You guys were an incredible, um, incredible help to us. So thank you very much for your donations to us. So I
0: share this in first service, you know, you always blow me away, Connect, when we make an ask like this and we needed 3,000 and we had 5,500 and it's just fantastic. But sometimes, you know, we get a big generosity thing like this and you don't get to hear what happens. So I was so happy when Shelley said she was available to come and share some pictures and stories. For all of those of you who are a part of that donation or just are a part of Connect and our culture, you get to see the difference love makes as we support others. And I was thrilled in first service to let Shelly know that actually, after we'd sent that check, um, more donations still came in. So I'm sending her away this morning with another check for a thousand dollars, over and above. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Thank you all. This is just incredible, and um, I just the love that you give is amazing. Thank you for supporting Camp Hope.
0: Absolutely. And you saw from that last slide, you know, that she is a fantastic visionary, a great leader who has a heart for this ministry to make a difference in the lives of these kids, but also to say, God, what, what's next? Where can I go? You know, what's the next big challenge. So I'm thrilled that, uh, that extra money will go towards future uh, plans there. So... Um, uh, for those who don't know, our students here at Connect returned from youth camp this last week. They had a fantastic time, and uh, some of them are here this morning. They got quite excited when Shelley said that uh, there are kids who have met at camp and are now married, because our kids are like, it's going to happen. I know, that one I met, is this going to happen? So it may not. Hold on. Um, <laughs> Love is a verb, and it's just brilliant when we see love um, change communities, change when we, when we have action behind our love. Uh, you're going to hear at the end an announcement that we're doing a, a, a back-to-school drive for the District 50 schools, and uh, we want to help families with the burden of some of those back-to-school supplies, so another great way of showing love here at Connect. After service, you'll find out how you can uh, uh, donate financially or just bring in school supplies, either way, to help. Uh, with that you know another great thing about love is that love changes people love changes people I'm sure they saw that at Camp Camp Hope the the outpouring of love for these kids just made a difference in their lives and in my life I've seen especially God's love change people and I think one of the challenges for us as a church or the church is to remember that it's love that changes people I remember as a kid, I have this book. It was called Aesop's Fables, and I loved it. I would read it and read it and read it, and I loved the illustrations, and I loved the stories. Uh, If you're familiar with Aesop's Fables, he was a a Greek from a long time ago who wrote these these stories with a purpose, stories like analogies, parables. Uh, He wrote The Boy Who Cried Wolf, uh, The Tortoise and the Hare, but he also wrote one about the wind and the sun. And in this story, he talks about this wind and the sun having a wager with one another. They're arguing with one, one another one day, saying, I'm more powerful. No, I'm more powerful. And the wind says, Well, I'll prove to you how powerful I am. You see that traveler walking along the street down there? I bet I can blow so hard that I blow his cloak right off of his back. So the story goes that the wind starts to blow and blow and blow harder and harder and blow harder in an effort to try and get this guy's cloak off of his back. But the harder the wind blows, the tighter. The man holds onto the cloak around his shoulders. Finally, he gives in, and the sun says, Let me try. And the sun just shines. And the heat and the warmth, as this guy's walking on the road, start to impact him. But before you know it, he's he's opening up his cloak. And a little bit further, he's removing his cloak. And the sun wins the wager. And, and in the book, the 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 lesson to be learned from this parable, this fable, is that gentleness and kind persuasion win where force and bluster fail. And I think about that sometimes for us as a church because we can get caught up sometimes in uh, this desire to, to make sure that we're, we're shouting at the darkness, that we're proclaiming to the world, you know, this is wrong and what you're doing is wrong and this kind of thing. And, and sometimes the louder we shout, it's almost like the tighter someone holds on to their cloak the tighter they pull their their habits, their behaviors around them. But when we just shine the love of God, when we allow the love of God to shine like the sun in their lives, we discover that love has so much power that oftentimes people in their brokenness are there because they're looking for love. They're looking for hope. They're looking for a purpose in life. And we have that message to share. Just two verses from Romans, Romans 5 God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus, God loved us so much that before we even turned to him, Jesus came and died. That's God's demonstration of love. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Nothing, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling beat up and broken maybe ashamed or regretful, some of the choices you've made or where you see your life currently heading. I wanna tell you, God loves you so much. These two verses and many others are just constant reminders that wherever you're at right now, God loves you. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to find you. We we sang that song earlier, the reckless love of God. The words are fantastic because it's almost reckless how much God loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I hope if you've not found it yet that you will turn to God and experience his love in your life. It will change your life forever. But as well as love being a verb and, and love Changing people, the reality is that love still challenges. Sometimes I think we get a little bit fearful, you know, well, if I just love, you know, who's going to be there to challenge? And the reality is that the Bible does talk about love challenging. One of the wisest people that ever lived, a man by the name of um, Solomon, he wrote in Proverbs 27.5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. It's better to instead of hide your love for somebody, actually be willing to rebuke them, to challenge them. Sometimes the greatest demonstration of love is to see something in someone that maybe they don't see themselves and and challenge them on it. Say, I think, hey, this, this could be harmful, or have you ever thought about this, or did you know that God loves you so much? But that doesn't mean it's just open season to rebuke anyone and everyone, because listen to this next verse, More wise words from Solomon. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And what Solomon's saying here is, you can have a lot of people in your life who say a lot of great things to you, but they're almost like kisses from an enemy. And it doesn't seem this way, but sometimes a wound from a sincere friend, something that's hard to hear, something that may not be easy to hear, but you know the person's heart. You know this person loves you and cares about you, and they wouldn't say this if they didn't. I've had situations in my life where dear friends of mine have said, Dave, be careful, or I wanna challenge you on this, or, and it was hard to hear, but I knew I needed to hear it. God spoke to me through that person. Sometimes love challenges. Love is a verb. It will change people. It can challenge. But let's never forget the greatest way for people to see God, who himself is the embodiment of love, is when we show him. Every opportunity we have, not just to say, I love you, but to show the love of God. That's the measure of that particular fruit of the Spirit in your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, we are so thankful for your love. It's immense. Before we even knew you, Lord, you'd sent Jesus, your one and only son, to die for us because you loved us so much. That nothing can separate us. Nothing we ever do, Lord, can separate us from your love. That's how much you love us. So I pray, Lord, that being aware of that, that love in our lives like the sun that shines, Lord, that's what will motivate us to live differently. That's what will motivate us to love others. Lord, I pray that people will, uh, who know us will know that when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, love is strong. Love is a ripe fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.